0: Welcome to Experts Only Podcast, sponsored by Clean Capital. You can learn more at cleancapital.com. I'm your host, John Powers. Each week, we explore the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance with leaders across the industry. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back to Experts Only Podcast. This is John Powers, your host. Today, we have a really fascinating conversation, and this is a Longer than normal episode because it was, we really went deep and on a lot of different issues with Bill Weil, who is the executive director of Climate Voice. Bill has had an amazing career um, starting at computer science at MIT, uh, but then he you'll hear more about a story, but he ended up serving as the green energy czar at Google uh, in the heyday in the beginning of Google's launch into sustainability and later on spent six years as the director of Facebook, the director of sustainability at Facebook. And is now leading climate voice really trying to drive an all in approach to to helping to solve the climate crisis we're facing enjoy Bill thanks so much for joining us at experts only
1: yeah my pleasure it's really really a delight to be here
0: so you know as we were talking off lawn, you you grew up in Cincinnati you ended up uh, going to MIT and teaching at MIT what what led you there what got you interested in computer science
1: yeah well so I grew up I, I grew up in Cincinnati um, you know Uh, was interested in math and science in high school kind of fell into computer science right um and and you know that just became a natural career path I was good at it it was fun it was really new I mean I started college in 75 so you know most people didn't know what a computer was like calculators were new then if you can you know imagine yeah Um, Steve Jobs
0: is still in his garage right putting the (laughs) the apples together yeah
1: yeah I think that's probably right yeah um and at the same time, personally, I mean, so I grew up in Cincinnati, P&G, Procter & Gamble, headquartered there. Right. Um, uh, air quality in the 60s and 70s, really bad. Right. Uh, summer air quality, you know, horrific. I'm sure that, you know, my lungs are almost certainly scarred from what I grew growing right. up. And my mom was a real environmentalist. We, you know, we composted, right? We, I mean, we had woods behind our house. We would take Kitchen scraps and toss them in a compost pile in the woods. We we recycled wow. when it was hard. So I grew up, uh, you know, sort of in in a, a family that was um, about uh, social activism, doing good, uh, caring about the environment, being surrounded by air pollution and litter and whatever that that made us think there's a problem. We need to fix it. Right. But no one really suggested you could make a career out of this. And so, you know, I was good at math and science, and I fell into computer science and loved it, and that's what I pursued for for a long time. So, ended up at MIT, ended up getting a PhD, teaching, then coming out west on sabbatical and staying here for, well, ever since, been here since. Yeah,
0: what was the the driver around the sabbatical? Had you been sort of spending time in in the Valley, and you got interested in what was going on? Like, how'd you decide to go Um, west?
1: Uh, I was looking for um, particularly an industrial place to you know sort of not non-academic place to work. I ended yeah. up at one of Digital Equipment Corporation's research labs. It was probably the most academic um, place in industry you could be at that yeah. point, but uh, it was um, much more connected to digital's business than anything we were, I was doing in academia.:
0: It and was not really early '90s, really-
1: right you said? This was '94. 94. 94 yeah. Yeah. It was an opportunity to really work with peers much more than was possible in academia, where you tend to work with a lot of students and collaborate more loosely with peers. So it was a you know, sort of different environment. Sure. Um, I knew a bunch of people there. I mean, I think it's very common. You know, I knew people at a bunch of places at that point, but it's very common people end up taking sabbaticals at places where there are people they wanted to work with. And there were sure. a, bunch of, a bunch of people there that um, you know, I, I was really interested in working with. So that's part of what brought me there. My wife also grew up in Berkeley, had a, has a lot of extended family out here. So that was one of the reasons for saying, let's let's go to the Bay Area. And yeah, It's a nice place to be. It's a beautiful place
0: um, to be. Um, Even though as, for the audience, we're, interview- we're doing this during the coronavirus uh, stay-at-home
1: position. It's, right. it's definitely beautiful. Right. So fortunately, I have a nice house in San Francisco that we've had for a long time. And so yeah. also, you know, I'm, I feel very privileged to be uh, you know, I'm not sequestered in a tiny little closet somewhere. Um, yeah, uh, but yeah, we're all stuck at home um, for who knows how long. Um, and uh, yeah. So as as you transition sort of to industry, like what
0: led you into the? Obviously, you had a, you had a, a personal desire in environmentalism and, and, and sustainability. How did you really start to move professionally into that space? What led you? I mean, for for the audience that doesn't know. You ended up at, at Google as their uh, sort of czar for clean energy. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, how did you go from sabbatical to the West Coast to a position like that?
1: Yeah. Well, I ended up staying at that, that Digital Equipment Corporation lab for five and a half years. And then I moved to a startup, Akamai Technologies, actually it was an MIT spinoff, but they opened an office out here. So I, I joined them out here was there for a little over five years as chief architect and then CTO. And I'd say in the late 90s, I was, you know, hearing more about climate change in the sure. early 2000s. Uh, you know, early 2000s, we had uh, 9-11, we had the Afghanistan war, we had the Iraq war, um, as you know. Um, and, and and not much was happening on climate And I was reading more about it and getting more and more concerned about it. And, you know, I sort of there were these 3 a.m. moments where what I realized in kind of 2003, 2004 was when, you know, when I woke up at 3 a.m. and couldn't go back to sleep and it wasn't just that I'd had too many cups of coffee or there was a screaming kid and, you know, young kids at that point. You know, that what I was thinking about was not, you know, the hard problems that I was wrestling with at work. It was climate change and, like, you know, where are we headed and what are we going to do about this? And should I put solar in our house? And, you know, we had bought a Prius. That was the pinnacle of clean yeah. cars back then. Um, uh, you know, what else can we do? Um, and um, my wife had actually just changed careers. She'd gone back to school and become a nurse practitioner. And I had grown up in a, you know, my dad had the same job basically almost his whole life. My mom didn't have a paid job, but, I, you know, I didn't have a model for people changing jobs much less right. right 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 but watching my wife do it i think inspired me and gave me the courage to say I, right, you know i could do something different That's and awesome. if it doesn't work i can go back to what i've been doing sure um so i decided to see given that i would you know what i was stewing over in the middle of the night and clearly my brain wanted to to you know think about was climate it's like all right what can i do yeah so i spent about a year on a self-imposed sabbatical talking to people, going to some conferences, reading, doing an enormous amount of networking, which at the time I would say did not come naturally to me, yeah. <laughs> but I got better. So figure out, you know, given that I'm not a material scientist, I'm not a physicist, I'm not a mechanical engineer, you know, but I've got deep, sort of broad engineering, scientific, technical expertise, and I've got a fair amount of business expertise from my time at Akamai especially. Sure. What could I do that would be useful for climate? Um, And I wasn't a lawyer, I wasn't a policy wonk. So, you know, and and I got a lot of advice, and then I think I was lucky to be in the right place at the right time. I knew a lot of people at Google, and um, they were looking for someone in 2000, mid 2005, starting to look for someone to help them figure out what they could do on climate. Right. Climate sustainability
0: has always been a core there right because a lot of the leadership um
1: they weren't so sustainability like green buildings um energy efficiency for data centers was really core to what they were doing but this was 2005 i joined there early 2006 they had one person who'd been doing uh basically the the retrofits or remodels of their what was the core of their campus in mountain view yeah so they were doing a lot on green buildings uh, and they were beginning to work on. They were they, they had plans for putting 1.6 megawatts of solar on the roof of the Mountain View campus, hmm. which at the time was the largest commercial installation of solar at least yeah, in absolutely. the country.
0: Now, well, before the Recovery Act sort of kickstarted the industry, that's, that's really interesting.
1: Yeah, no, it was so. So they they were thinking about it. They cared about it, but they you know there wasn't that much happening yet. Yeah. And they hired me with the charter, basically figure out what we should do. We want to be carbon neutral, right? Now, we don't quite know what that means, but it sounds like the right thing, like get rid of our emissions. Right. And so I joined early 06 and I love diving into things where it's not even clear what the goal is, right. um, much less how to go about it. That, that, that to me is once it gets to like, we understand what we're doing. I, I wouldn't say I lose interest, but it's, it's not as exciting. Not as exciting, yeah. Yep. So that's what took me to Google. And I spent six years there. And, and we, and actually, they, they really gave me and my team a platform for doing all kinds of things. I mean, I was on the google.com side. The google.org was a separate organization, but pretty closely coupled. Dan Riker, Sorry. Amy Christensen, a bunch of a few sure. other people were at google.org you working know, on climate. We collaborated very closely. My team was really sort of the, the, the technical arm for Google.org in a way. Oh, interesting, yeah. But, but also managed all the operational, especially clean energy, but a fair amount of broader sustainability work across the company. And we did internal R&D on concentrating solar. We invested in... Uh, early stage companies with some solar and some uh, engineered geothermal and a couple other things, Macomb right. Power, which is the um, you know sort of airborne, high altitude, medium high altitude wind. We you know Rick Needham then really pioneered the project finance work that Google did, billions of dollars. Yeah, in billions finance. of us. Yep. And then my team pioneered the, the basically clean energy purchasing, the PPA work where right. we we committed to long-term PPAs that gave developers the revenue certainty that they needed to get financed. Right. At a time um, when people couldn't even spell PPA, really. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Still, I still get, you know, blank looks sometimes when it, yeah. but it, it's a little, <laughs> a little, you know, more people know what it is now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Right. I mean, we didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. Um, you know, and we, we, I mean, I think the great thing, especially at that time about a company like Google, is like, we'll figure this out. Yeah. and you'll find the consultants and the experts and the whatever, and you'll make a few mistakes, and it's okay. Um, so this
0: overlaps sort of the American recovery app push that really brought a lot of efficiency into the solar market, and a lot of, a lot of capital. So w- as you look into the what we're dealing with today, right, and opportunities around n- new infrastructure. I mean, I feel like we're at a place today where we, it's not so much about adding uh, an injection into the market anymore, but it's about making Sure, there's sort of stability coming
1: out of this for what has been a pretty booming space overall, right? Right, well, right, with the current, you know, with COVID 19 and, and the contraction of everything and kind everything. of the economy shutting down, it, it is partly about ensuring survival through this and then um, driving growth and recovery after. Right. Um, I mean, I think compared to 10 years ago, especially 10 years ago, sort of in the depths of the Great Recession. Um, but even just you know, po- you know, immediately post recovery, you know, the scale of the clean energy industry is much, much larger. Yep. Um, but um, uh, you know, it 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 needs to be even bigger, right? I mean, so I so I got into this space because I was freaked out about climate, yep. and the truth is, I still wake up at three AM and kind of going, "Holy crap!" Yeah. Um, I do too. You know, it's it's worse <laughs> now than it
0: was then. Right, my wife kicks me out of bed at those moments and said, "Go, go, with, yeah. go do what you got to do," which is usually go yeah. right or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do um, you? So, was it in that Google role, or was it later on when you went to? So, next you went to Facebook and played the role as a director of sustainability.
1: Right.
0: Where along that path did you start getting the the advocacy bug and sort of the realization? I mean, clearly you had an understanding of policy, but the realization of the the role that it had. Yeah, I
1: would say at both companies, I had you know I was lucky to have the opportunity to dive into a whole bunch of areas that matter to uh, th- that are important for for solving the climate problem, right? right? And and um, from innovation and in R and D to you know venture investing to project finance, being able to kind of work with Rick Needham and his his team right. um, to energy efficiency to you know, energy purchasing and a bit on advocacy and, and, you know, at Google, we, um, we lobbied for AB 32 here in California, right. we actually were very active in the fight against prop 23, which was kind of the, the anti AB 32, the attempt to roll back AB 32. But then it, we weren't very active in the, the fight in Washington for Waxman-Markey. Right. And I'd say post, I left Google late 2011, but, but, you know, post Waxman-Markey and, and with the rise of the Tea Party, a lot of companies backed off on advocacy, especially at the national level.
0: Yeah. So we we couldn't say climate change around the Pentagon for a while post Waxman-Markey.
1: Right. So I think that over time I've come to understand, you know, all those different elements of what, what we need to do to solve climate change. I I've, I've come to understand more and more how important they all are and especially how important policy is that if you want to reduce risk for investment if you want to reduce risk for R&D and investments in innovation right. policies that ensure, that that ensure there will be market pull will reduce that risk i mean what what drove investment in wind and solar over the last 20 years one of the biggest things was RPSs and Feed in tariffs, absolutely. Tax credits helped because they reduced that price premium when it was at a premium. Now it's not so much of a premium; it may even be a savings in some places. But you know, mandates that said, you know, this utility is going to have, you know, go back ten or fifteen years, five percent of its energy come from renewable sources, meant they had to deploy a whole bunch. Absolutely. Um, and and then they could you know do competitive bidding and and push hard to get the best price, but you know, that, that premium then got spread over the whole rate base. And that meant you could do it in a way that no one paid very much. And right. that drove scale, which drove down costs to the point where now, you know, anybody can put solar in their house and probably save money. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the the, the change has happened, and you've been at the center of this, both
0: with, at Google and also at Facebook, is now, well, RPS has really got things moving the 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 demand side of corporate America and what the 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 asks are from whether it be big tech or you know even Walmart wanting the renewable energy and pushing the policies in the states where they need to go right so if Virginia, I lived in Virginia for years you couldn't you couldn't bring a solar panel into Virginia Dominion Power would throw it out the door uh, but you know some big companies came in and said we won't bring our business here unless we can do it and all of a sudden you get some of the largest PPAs right. ever signed. Done in that state, and and interesting policies now coming in place with the new governor that I think will be hopefully game changing there.
1: Yeah, well, and that's I would say that's one of the biggest things we did at Facebook during my time there. We kind of picked up where Google was on buying clean energy, and we really doubled down on that. So we basically started saying at Google, you know, they wanted to buy clean energy. They they've actually done a lot of virtual PPAs. So they they've said to you know we, we want to put a data center here. We want to buy clean energy. Oh, we can't. For a long time, they're like, "All right, we'll put the data center here. We'll do a virtual PPA, five hundred miles away, a thousand miles away." Right. Um, They've begun to shift, but at Facebook, pretty much from day one, we said we want to put we we want clean energy to power it, and we want that energy on the same grid. Hmm. And that wasn't a hard demand at the beginning because right. we couldn't make it a hard demand, but it became one over a few years, and it was a pretty strong ask. And we were really instrumental in scaling. The various NGO-led initiatives that, that became ultimately came together and became REBA, the Renewable Energy Buyers Alliance, right? And really pushing utilities and regulators to um, create green tariffs and other things that would, would open up market access, right? So that that you know, rather than being you know, you can buy your energy from the utility, whatever co- color they sell, as long as as it's brown, right? Um, you know. Um, it's, we want to buy what we want to buy, and let's have policies that allow us to do that. And maybe yeah, I mean, that's yeah. sleeved through the utility, maybe it's going around the utility, maybe it's from the utility, different structures in different places, um, but, but it was really important.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. If you look back a decade, none of these teams had very, or you guys were really developing the sophisticated energy shops, and now they've got dedicated energy shops that are doing really right. amazing things. So let's, let's jump forward into the advocacy space. So you left, you left Facebook and sort of helped really launch Climate Voice. Can you talk a little bit about Climate Voice and sort of the, the vision of the organization a little bit about the model?
1: Yeah. Well, the sort of two, two elements. The first one is what is it we, we, we want and need companies to do? Right. Um, so, you know, you talk about Walmart. Walmart, a big part of their strategy has been, uh, you know, behind the meter rooftop solar on big box stores. So they've been very strong advocates for net metering and other policies that, you know, and, you know, the um, ITC to help reduce the cost. Right. Um, really important. Uh, Facebook, very strong advocates for um, uh, green tariffs and other policies that, that allow them to buy, you know, 100 megawatts, 200 megawatts of wind or solar um, and on the same grid where they're putting the facility. Other companies, Google similarly has begun pushing for those kinds of things, but none of those companies have been particularly active in pushing and supporting RPSs, which would help drive much faster scale in the industry, which would help decarbonize an entire grid. So, you know, SV100 here in California, which passed a year and a half ago, mandates, it accelerated the RPS, I think it's 60%. Renewable by now, I'm not sure the date 2030 or 2040, 2035, and 100% zero carbon by 2045. You know, there were in the end a bunch of companies that supported it. None of the big tech companies did. Hmm. A bunch of other big companies in the state that, that, uh, you know, have their own 100% clean energy commitments were silent. They weren't, they didn't oppose it, they were silent. Right. In the end, it passed, but it almost failed. Right. right. And the same is true if you look at not just clean energy, you know, electricity policies, but other climate related policies. I mean, our, our biggest issue these days, given all the progress we've made on electricity in the last decade or two, our biggest issue on climate in this country now is transportation. True. yeah. And, and buildings are not far behind. You know, I mean, my, you know, I'm sitting here in my house. We have natural gas for our heat and uh, hot water and our uh, you know, clothes drying and our, our cooking. right? And um, there's no carbon capture machine we're going to put on those appliances, right? right? And maybe someday in 20 or 30 years, direct air capture will be scalable and cost effective. And so we could keep burning natural gas here and it would be fine. I don't, we don't have the time to just wait and see if that pans out, because if it doesn't, the risk is enormous. Yeah. Um, so we need policies that will drive rapid decarbonization across a, ra- a range of sectors, and the kinds of policies probably are that, that are most effective and that are politically palatable are, go- I think, going to differ from sector to sector. What makes sense now for electricity, you know, a modest price on carbon uh, would make a big difference. It would tip the, the the sort of economic balance even faster and and cause great you know faster change. At the same time, you know, there are all of these legacy fossil fuel plants. We just have to get off the grid right. relatively quickly. So policies like SB 100 or the the um, Virginia Clean Economy Act, which just passed, I think are, you know, they're not a price on carbon. They're just we're going to mandate clean energy. That's the outcome we want. We're going to mandate it and then figure out the exact policies, you know, yeah. so regulatory levers get there. I feel like you so, see
0: that in Massachusetts, right, who, who, who is a leader in this now and, and now is making adjustments with things like the Clean Peak Standard and trying to figure right. out how to, how to now tinker with what's on the ground.
1: Right. So we know the outcome we want. We right. look at the IPCC 1.5 degree report from almost a year and a half ago. To have a decent chance of staying below one and a half degrees of warming, we need to cut emissions in, basically in half by 2030. Into net zero by 2050 and probably go net negative after that. Right. I like to focus on the 2030 goal because it really clarifies some of the most important things we need to do now. Right now, um, yeah. As opposed to, well, we need innovation. We do need innovation, right? right. Um, well, we're going to need carbon capture. Absolutely. It's not going to do much for us for at scale for 15 or 20 years, probably. Right. Um, maybe it will, but we can't count on it. So to cut emissions in half by 2030, we need to deploy wind, solar, storage much, much faster. We need to get fossil fuels out of buildings, not 100% by 2030, but a lot. Yeah. We certainly need to stop building more buildings full of fossil fuel infrastructure. Right. We need to start to, to shift our transportation infrastructure um, rapidly to zero carbon. More transit, transit-friendly development. Uh, EVs, EV charging infrastructure, and so on. Some of that, you know, the markets will do a lot. Policy is needed to make it happen fast enough. Yeah. So- so
0: And it doesn't help when you've got an administration that backs away from some right. of the progress we made. That's right. You know, six there months. is a
1: lot of progress that's been happening at the state level, like the Virginia Absolutely. bill, like there's a bill in the legislature in Illinois right now, like on the East Coast, there's the Transportation and Climate Initiative, which is right. a cap and invest program for transportation emissions much like Reggie was for, it's basically Reggie for transportation. Right. Um, so, so our observation, I, I, I'd say our starting point is we need to decarbonize rapidly. The, a huge part of the problem, the, the, the reason why we're not moving fast enough is the lack of policy. It would be great to have national policy. That's probably not going to happen super soon, maybe in a year or two, maybe yeah. what happens in November but there's a lot happening at the state level in a number of states. And so we want to push progress where progress is at least remotely possible. And you've got companies, we were talking about this before, companies are, you know, a lot of companies say, well, uh, you know, our business is about innovation, so we're gonna focus on innovate. And that kind of was what happened at Google. And when I joined Google in 2006, honestly, we still needed an enormous amount of innovation. We embarked on right. essentially a moonshot with R E less C, like you know, this project renewable energy cheaper than coal. That was our goal. Hmm. We didn't think we would. Well, maybe we did, but you know, our goal was to drive progress much faster than was happening. Yeah, I think we helped do that a bit. And in truth, when the wind and solar industries got there. That was a moonshot. We're there. We're there. Right? We're wind there. and solar cheaper than coal. Now that we've landed on that moon. Okay. Now it's time to actually develop it. Right. right. And there's some more moonshots we need, like direct air capture, like, you know, even cheaper storage, long-term storage, um, you know, green cement, you know, zero carbon cement and steel and other things. There are a bunch of things we don't know how to do right. well today that we still need to innovate on. But we, you know, we've landed on some moons that we now need to, you know, terraform and, and, and you know, to get a little too nervous. Yeah.
0: You know, and exploit. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, look, we're living and breathing that every day, every day, trying to support developers that are putting deals in the ground because, right. you know, you know, they can pencil out. And now it's making sure they're right, whether it be permitting or it's a lot of minutia, but it's a really important minutia. Right. That gets so what we see with a lot of
1: companies is they have their, you know, what they think of as their superpower, their innovators or their or they use a lot of energy so they can use their power in the market. Right. With Google and Facebook and now a couple hundred companies are doing with Reba and so on. But they tend to stop there. Are you
0: pretty involved with Reba?
1: I know Miranda pretty well. Not much. so much these days. Um, yeah. I was very involved for four or five years. Oh, that's and, great. And a little bit, but not closely involved now. But they tend to stop there. And I think that may have made sense 10 years ago. Right. Or five years ago for a company to say, this is what we're really good at. We're going to do this. But this other stuff, policy or you know, transportation stuff, we're not a transportation company, so we're not gonna worry about that. Right, That's our thing. Now what we want with Climate Voice is for companies to go all in on climate. So every decision they make, every action they take, one of the lenses they should evaluate it through is, what is its impact on climate? And that means in their supply chain, Choice of suppliers and designing products in their operations, you know, building buildings and factories and data centers and whatever, sourcing energy uh, in the benefits they offer. Like, is there are, are there ESG screened fossil-free uh, funds in their Right. For, for most comp almost all companies, the answer is no. Right. In how their products are used. Do they actively market their products and services? Um, in ways that actually increase emissions. That's true for a lot of the companies that are real leaders on climate, that they may be doing good things with their products. There's also a lot of stuff that's bad for the climate that's happening. And then especially in their use of their voice and influence in advocacy. And most companies do that very narrowly um, for the policies that will benefit them. We do rooftop solar, we want net metering. We do PPAs. we want green tariffs. But we don't support uh, clean car standards uh, or the ZEV mandates or, uh, you know, 100 percent clean energy mandate in the state. Um, Or in many cases, even, you know, a price on carbon. A lot of companies still aren't even supporting that. And I think we need a price on carbon. It is not the only policy we need, um, but we do need it nationally in various states. You know, Oregon's been trying to, uh, you know, pass climate legislation and the republican legislators keep leaving the state so they can't right right just, you know. it's crazy it's a crazy situation and where are the big companies in oregon that are that are all about climate action why aren't they talking to those republican legislators and saying look we can't keep investing in the state if you guys don't get your act together right um, same thing in washington with uh, the carbon tax that's been on the two versions of it were was on the ballot a year and a half ago, and I think three and a half years ago, um, which failed. And a few companies supported it, not many. And the oil companies you know, poured millions of dollars into the campaign to defeat Initiative 1631. Year yeah. After. So we want companies to go all in. Like, you know, they can, A, when they are advocating, when they're doing political contributions, super PACs, direct political contributions, whatever, those should be aligned with a one and a half degree future. And B, if they're staying silent, they should be asking, if, if we're silent on this policy and um, either it, it's a bad bad climate policy, it's, you know, the, the coal and nuclear bailout in uh, Ohio, for example. Sure. If we're silent and it passes, what's the impact on climate? If we're silent, it's a good climate policy, the Virginia bill or um, SB 350 here in California a few years ago where the transportation piece vanish because the oil companies lobby against it. If we're silent and it fails, what's the impact on climate? And the answer is, it's not consistent with moving us onto a decarbonization pathway that we need to be on. Then we should think hard about, okay, maybe we should support it or oppose it if it's a bad one. And today, most companies are simply saying, you know what? It's not our core business. We're going to stay silent because we see risk if we speak up. We see zero risk if we stay silent. And you guys are engaging. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say our ask is you gotta be all in. If if, you know the the time for picking and choosing where you're going to lead um, is over. Right. The purpose for leadership has gone up. And if you're if you care about climate, then you gotta care about climate on everything you do. I love it. I love it. And you guys are engaging a lot of the employees,
0: right? Sort of pushing your company. So
1: that's our our model is we want to mobilize ultimately hundreds of thousands of current workers, and right. future workers, to encourage, push, you know, whatever, their, their companies, the ones they work at now or the ones they might work at and the ones that want to hire them to support pro-climate policies and oppose anti-climate policies. And to, to do that publicly and to do that with, with intensity. It can't just, oh, issue a statement and we're done. They've got to really get in there and do get it. the heart of it, yeah. And it's climate. It's not just energy. Um, or electricity, and it's right. not just the ones that affect their operations. It's climate.
0: It's interesting because I feel well. First of all, folks should go to climatevoice.org and sign a pledge and push their companies forward. As someone who's just signed it this morning when I got on there, Thank it's you. definitely worth worth uh, worth worth doing. And it's that it's those um, voices in the business sector that will make a significant difference at your state capitals, but also in Washington D.C. where and you can take it purely out of the, the the hands of the environmentalists who they hear from a lot and bring the business to the table, business voice to the table. It does make a significant difference, but they need to be they need to be pushed to move ahead. If one of the you know it's interesting, we live this every day. I mean, it's been my sort of career post the military. My wife and I still talk about the fact that people just don't always know what to do. Right? They have those three A M moments and they want to get involved, uh, but they just don't know how to act. Right? They may recycle. They may you know we we compost. We do the things. We want to do, but still, LED
1: bulbs, you know, yeah.
0: uh, right. But how do we do more? And I think this is a really great way to, to get folks to do more.
1: Well, and this, this is, I think that's exactly right. And it's certainly been my own personal frustration, you know, I starting 15 plus years ago, and then, you know, still feeling like, you know, I'm not doing, you know, we collectively aren't doing enough. I'm doing right. And, but, you know, I, I sort of at each point in my career over the last 15 plus years have been sort of driven to it's like, well, not enough is happening. What can I do that would help more happen? And that was the move it. to Google. That was the move then to Facebook. That was the, the decision to leave Facebook and found Climate Voice and to, to try to figure out how can we empower people to actually drive change. And so, and and it really is, you know, I like to think of it as, as the improv approach to climate. Right. It's the S- and It's like, yeah, absolutely buy an electric car and actually actually. When it's safe, again, to get on on a bus with a lot of other people after the pandemic has subsided, take transit right, right, or walk or ride a bike or whatever, right? But, but, you know, eliminate carbon from your life as much as you can. So do all of that. Travel less, eat less meat, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, that stuff is important. It doesn't get us all the way there. So it's yes and. Yes, do that. And push your employer to do more in its operations. And push your employer to actually be all in. And use its voice for advocacy in the end climate is a massive complicated systems problem and we're not going to get the systemic change we need at the rate we need it by a bunch of kind of scattershot voluntary actions we need all of that we actually need it to be less scattershot and more of it but we also need the policies that will guide the whole market the whole economy onto that decarbonization path right and and I think the thing that people, you know, the expectation for companies in the last decade for leadership has been decarbonize your operations. That's been the bar for leadership. And that it's been real leadership. We need to raise the bar. And it needs to be you're all in. Right. I mean, companies have a lot of influence on policy. Significant. They exercise it when it matters to their operations, to their business. They tend to be silent otherwise. That silence is a choice. Right, and, and it's not neutrality. It allows the fossil fuel industry to be the dominant business voice in most of these policy battles, debates, whatever you want to call them, which means they win most of the time. And that's, I think, a major reason why policy progress is too slow. We can change that. But to I do agree. it, we need to give companies the motivation. And I think this is where individuals have a lot more power to influence companies than they might realize they do. And, you know, the Amazon employees who have been very vocal and very active in the last now almost two years, year and a half, two years, I think really pushed Amazon to step up their corporate commitments on Significantly. A lot. Jeff Bezos got a personal check, right, for $10 billion or something. Right. I mean, we'll see what he actually spends the money on. Right. I mean, you know, that's a huge commitment. And the company itself has made much bigger commitments than they made before. Right. And I think that is because employees spoke up. We saw this happen with LGBT rights in the last decade, Right. Decade plus. Companies were acting in their operations 10 years ago. You know, Hundreds of companies were offering equal benefits to, part, to, to employees in domestic partnerships, had internal policies banning discrimination in hiring and who they serve. But they were silent on public policy. Right. And over the last decade, they've become much more vocal On marriage equality at the state and federal level, on the Religious Freedom Act in Indiana, where they helped get that discriminatory law um, not struck down or or repealed, but the the worst parts were were undone. The bathroom bill in North Carolina, same thing. Um, They helped stop a similar bathroom bill in Texas, stopped it completely. And they did that because employees spoke up and because they knew that college students cared. And that if they stayed silent, there was a very clear threat from the human rights campaign and other organizations that they would be painted on college campuses as complicit with these old, backward-looking, discriminatory policies. absolutely. And to them, that was too much of a risk. So that was enough to make... You know the the there to be benefit from speaking up and risk from not that for many of them tip the balance so we're yeah. we're trying to create the same we are creating the same uh dynamic on climate where companies that speak up that really go all in on climate will see a big competitive advantage for recruiting and retention over companies that stay silent
0: couldn't agree um, with you more I actually just re- I will share with you uh, a piece i. Re- I uh, recently wrote a call from Greta to the boardroom, basically arguing that, you know, 2019, Greta set the world on fire around the cultural change. But so much is happening at the boardroom and so much more has to happen to really, to really drive this. Well, Bill, and that's
1: the, you know, I think Greta has said, you know, I don't want your nice words. I want action. Right. Way <laughs> right. We're going to get action is not from more nice statements from companies. Exactly. Uh, we're going to get action from them actually putting resources, you know, big companies. Hire five climate experts and and policy experts and put them to work, um, you know, putting your influence and lobbying muscle behind climate policy. Uh, Five employees for a gigantic company, it's dropping the bucket, right? So it's choice. And right now their choice is, we see risks, we're going to stay silent. We want them to make a different choice. and. What we're, what we're doing with Climate Voice, you mentioned the pledge, so people go to climatevoice.org, sign the pledge, and then we have several petitions that they can sign. The pledge is basically a commitment that you're going to work and we will help you work to hold companies accountable for being all in, especially on policy, but also on other things. And it's not just we want, we don't want companies to just make some broad general statement about we support climate policy. Thousands of them support the Paris Agreement. Yeah, in the end, it's about specific policies, as you said. The you know the wonky details in this jurisdiction about what policies either help or hinder moving us to a zero carbon future, and companies need to get in there and support those specific policies, not just generally say we support you know. Uh, climate action and the Paris Agreement. We don't really like that policy and we don't really like that one. And we actually, that one, we don't like that either. So, you know, you can't dislike or be silent on all of them. You actually need to support them. Exactly.
0: Bill, thank you. And thank you for what you guys are doing. This is, uh, the timing couldn't be any more important than it is right now. And, you know, I challenge all of our listeners to go to climatevoice.org. Uh, we'll, we'll link to it from the Clean Capital website. And, you know, Bill, I asked so the sort of the same Ending question to, to all my guests. And if you could go back to visit yourself in, in Cincinnati when you were getting ready to head off to college uh, or even coming out of college, what, what piece of career advice would you give yourself?
1: You know, I mean, I was an activist of a sort in high school and college. Yeah, and I, I sort of continued for, for years until I actually became much more of a professional activist. No one suggested to me that I could align my career choices with the issues I cared about. Oh, interesting, yeah. And, and it didn't occur to me. And, you know, that's on me. And I think partly, I mean, look, I grew up in a kind of I would say maybe, you know, at the time centrist, uh, you know, politically kind of socially liberal, but but generally, you know, not super like not hardcore activist. Right. um, uh, Community. (laughs) And so I didn't it didn't occur to me that that really driving some kind of progress on some social issue was a career. Right. Um, And. Um, so I thought of my career and social change issues as separate. And today they're not. And that really was a transition I began to make 15 years ago. And I think really have made it even, you know, each step over the last 15 years has has driven that. But I think I, in retrospect, I mean, honestly, I'm really happy with and feel very lucky about how my career has played out. Um, I think what I learned and the experience I gained and 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 sort of the perspectives i've gotten in all the different phases has is, is allowing me to do things today that if I had gone straight into you know environmental activism 30, 40 years ago, right I might not be able to do what i 'm doing today right uh, so i don't regret it, but it wasn't a conscious choice, and I think that that um, i i if I were giving people advice today, it would be you know so there are things you care about there are things intellectually that grab you and you like working on and you're good at, think hard about how you can marry those and right. how your career can support making progress on on the issues you care about.
0: Well Bill, thank you. That's that's amazing and, and thanks for the time today. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. And you know, as you said, people can go to climatevoice.org, they can sign our pledge, they can sign our petitions. We'll have more over time. Great. Because there's many, no shortage of issues to, to hold companies <laughs> accountable on and no shortage of things to make progress on. And then please, you know, tell you, know, everybody, tell your friends, get them to sign up. Companies need to understand how many people care about this and, and how urgent it is.
0: Yeah, spread the word, share, share the pledge on social media. I want to thank the team at Climate Voice for helping to, to put this together and thank our producer, Carly Batten, for her hard work as always. And you can always get more episodes at cleancapital.com. As always, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks. Thanks for listening in today's conversation. Find more episodes on cleancapital.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We look forward to continuing our conversation on energy, innovation,
1: and finance with you.